We continue our reading from the account of that very first resurrection day from Luke 24, following the journey of the early followers of Jesus as they went from despair and hopelessness to faith and joy. And we pick up the story in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. 
He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And we look forward to his return. Have you heard the news? In the early hours of the morning, the dead were brought out of the tomb to much fanfare and rejoicing. You might think I'm talking about the resurrection. I'm actually not. Early this morning, there was a parade through the streets of Egypt as they brought 22 mummies and transferred them into the museum. They spent millions and millions of dollars parading their dead through the streets, celebrating their history, celebrating their culture, celebrating what had been. We're here this morning not to celebrate our dead. We, as Christians, gather not to promote our religion, to promote a particular culture, to promote an ideology. You see, the difference between Christianity and any other religion is that the ideas and the teachings of the master have not outlived the master himself. But the teachings and the ideas and the reports and the transforming message of the master abide because the master lives. Jesus is alive. That's why we're here today. That's why I'm here today. I hope it's why you're here today. I want to say a special welcome to you if you're visiting with us. Uh, it's lovely to have you here this morning. If you're visiting, participating online, hello. Uh, my name's Jonathan. It's a privilege to be here. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Windsor District Baptist Church. Uh, it is a great privilege to be sharing God's word with you this morning. This morning as we come to Luke's gospel, the message is called A Journey to Worship, and that's because 
in this passage, in Luke 24, 13 to 53, Jesus is going to lead his disciples to assurance over the course of three unique episodes. Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus who was looking for certainty. He was looking for a foundation for the things that he believed. Maybe you can relate to that. How do I know that the things I've been taught are real? How do I know that they're true? Luke has been writing to this man and he said at the outset of his gospel that he was going to tell him a, an account, an explanation, if you will, of the things that had happened that he was going to share with Theophilus how things that God had promised long ago had actually come to pass and how this was confirmed through the testimony of eyewitnesses that Luke had himself spoken with. That in fact he had investigated the matter so thoroughly so that this man Theophilus could be sure or certain of this good news that he'd been taught. And so here we come to the end of Luke's gospel and you want to put yourself in the shoes of Theophilus who's reading this for the first time and he's learned about the life and the ministry of Jesus. He heard about the angelic proclamations of his birth. He watched the ministry. He's now seen the suffering of Jesus. And as he's coming to read the account of the resurrection of Jesus, a man that he has never met, Theophilus is presented with some incredible truths. And it begs the question, which we're going to try to answer today, which is, how can we believe Jesus is alive without seeing him? How can we believe Jesus is alive without seeing him? In other words, for you kids, how is Jesus any different than the Easter Bunny? <laughs> you haven't seen the Easter Bunny? Does that mean he's real? I haven't seen Jesus. Does that mean he's real? How do we believe? We're going to see this morning that Jesus himself is the one who leads his disciples to a place of assurance. And this ought to be of great comfort to you. But I suspect you're going to see some things that are surprising along the way. As we come to this text, I invite you to pray with me that God would be communicating to us from his word that we would understand more of him. Father, would you bless us this morning as we gather, as we come to your word, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, equip us, and make us wise for salvation. Lord, our confession this morning is that we come in worship of the living Jesus, our Savior and mediator, our head, our God and our King. Would you fit us for his purposes today? Amen. So we have three episodes. The first of this episode that uh, I want to show you today, I'm just giving, calling it Burning Hearts. And this is a story that Judy has read for us, the first resurrection appearance of Jesus. You might recall from the very first reading in our service this morning, it ends with Peter stooping over strips of linen cloth, wondering to himself what had happened. The women who had been to the tomb earlier that day found the tomb to be empty of the body of Jesus. And instead they saw a vision of two angels who reported to them that he wasn't there, that he was alive, that he'd risen. Those women went and told the disciples, but the disciples didn't believe them. Not the first time women hadn't been believed. All the ladies say, uh-huh. 
And so Luke picks up the story in verse 13 of chapter 24 with these two on the road to Emmaus. Now Emmaus is a village outside of Jerusalem and they're going for a walk. Some suggest in Christian tradition they're actually going home. They've left Jerusalem, they're going home. If you've been following Luke's gospel, it's all been moving toward Jerusalem. Everything's been moving to Jerusalem. And if you look at the account of this journey to Emmaus and what happens in, over the table there in Emmaus, you would see that Luke is writing a story with a hinge point in the middle. And that middle hinge point is the statement that Jesus is alive. So the story begins with them leaving Jerusalem. It ends with them going back to Jerusalem. The story includes their bewilderment about what had happened, and it ends with their discussion of what had been revealed to them. You can watch the balance as you go through. We don't have time for that this morning. But the point is, these disciples who are traveling are in a state of unbelief, disbelief. And they're talking, and as, as much as we might want to romanticize this story, this is not a happy story. These are not two people who are having a solemn, considered conversation as they're traveling on the road. You know, some of you might like to get out of town if you want to have a chat with your spouse or significant other, or you just need to sort of get a break, take a leisurely stroll and have a chat. That's not what this is. The NIV tones it down. If we read the account, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened it says, as they talked and discussed these things, it's literally as they were disputing and arguing these things. This is what grieving people do. They argue with you. They're fiery. They're upset. They're disputing. And Jesus himself, we're told, comes up along and he starts walking with them. They were kept from recognizing him. The text reads, literally, their eyes were shut to him. Now, you can read this as God has obscured Jesus from them. But there's other times where this happens in the Gospels, and, and it just reads differently. There's times where God sovereignly prevents people from knowing who he is. This focuses on their eyes were literally closed. Their eyes were shut. It, it shifts the emphasis that the problem is, is really with these two. You say, what's happened here? I suggest to you it's what happens to many a disciple, many who have spent time with Jesus. They're suffering. God failing to meet the expectation that they had has led them to a place of despair. And they've literally shut their eyes. But whether God has shut their eyes or they themselves are just too, too downcast to do it, the emphasis is on just how heavy the despair it is. Jesus comes up from them while they're talking. He says, what are you discussing together as you walk? And notice they stop walking. They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on here? What things, Jesus asked. And then they go on to outline how they had such hope, how they thought that the, what they'd heard of Jesus was so compelling and they'd shifted all their expectations and they'd shifted their hopes to Jesus and now those hopes aren't met. 
Maybe you can relate. Maybe you gave your life to God somewhere back, back in your story, but when you gave your life to God, you had all these expectations of the things he was going to do for you. And you said, God, I'm going to give you my life and I'm going to trust that you're going to, you're going to redeem me. And for you, redemption looked like comfort. Redemption looked like the absence of trials. It looked like things going smoothly. And you've been walking this road of redemption and you're saying, this doesn't really feel like redemption at all. Maybe you get to a point in your journey with God where you feel like this just seems worse. And you begin to wonder, did I get it wrong? That's the sense with these two on the road to Emmaus. They're, they're, they're downcast. Did, did, did we get it wrong? Even when they start to report to Jesus who's standing there ironically and they start to say, we saw, you know, our women amazed us this morning because they reported that, that he's not there and the angel told them that he's alive. Verse 24, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. This isn't shared with Jesus with a perspective of, and they didn't find him. Can you believe it? He must be risen from the dead. No. It's shared from the perspective of, and they didn't, they didn't see him. We don't know where he is. This is just another thing that has failed to come about. There is not evidence here that they believe that Jesus has risen from the dead because they haven't seen him yet. Jesus then responds to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe, literally slow of heart, to, uh, for all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus diagnoses the problem. He says, in the midst of the suffering that you have seen me go through, in the midst of the weakness that you have seen of me, that appearance of weakness has caused you to stop believing. Suffering wasn't a part of your equation here. You didn't have a picture of a Messiah who would be incapacitated the way that I was. And then verse 27, one of the greatest conversations we'll never get to hear. <laughs> Jesus explains himself through all the scriptures. We can only ponder what he might have said. We can only wonder at him taking them to Genesis and saying, you know how when God said to your forefather Abraham that through his offspring all the nations would be blessed, you know he was talking about me, right? And we can only imagine him talking about the exodus and the deliverance of people through Egypt. And he said, you know how when God sent his angel of wrath to destroy all the firstborn, you know how there was lamb, the blood of a lamb that had to be put upon a door so that he would pass over. And that it was through that that God would redeem his people. You know I'm that Passover lamb. And we can only imagine when he got to Exodus and he talked about the high priest entering the most holy place with the blood of the perfect sacrifice so that he could make atonement for the sin. You could almost wonder what Jesus was saying when he was saying, you know, that, that's what I'm doing in the real holy of holies. That's what the Messiah has to do. And you can imagine him taking him into Joshua and talking about how this, this ragtag group of people that really had no place driving out people who were more powerful than them, that how God in his wisdom always uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. And that in the folly of a slain Messiah, he would deliver all the nations to himself. And you can imagine him going 
in through the prophet Samuel to where King David is given a promise by God. And God says to King David, you want to build me a house? Sorry, you can't do that, but I'm going to make a house out of you. And it's not a physical house. It's a, it's a dynasty. And the dynasty means there will be an heir of yours. One of your offspring will never leave the throne. And you can imagine Jesus saying, you know who that's talking about, right? It's talking about me. And you know the prophet Isaiah who was rebuking pagan kings around, and you know when he was talking about the redemption that God would bring for Israel and for the nations and the imposition of this mighty kingdom, you know how he was talking about Israel and how he would suffer and how he would bear the transgressions, you know he's talking about me, right? We could only wonder at what it would have been like to be in that conversation. And then when Jesus says, you know your hymnal, the Psalms. I'm the reason the nations rage. I'm the reasons the people plot against the creator. When David is singing about his best friend betraying them, you know that's about how the son of perdition would betray me. You can just imagine him walking through all of this. And yet they still don't see Jesus. He's with them but they don't recognize him. It's not until they come to the table, they sit down, Jesus breaks bread, and this, this saying occurs four times in Luke's gospel. Literally, these same six words, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them. It occurred for the first time when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. It also occurred when Jesus was sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. And it is in this moment that they recognize him and then bam, he's gone. Just like Philip, transported out of there. And their reply was, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, he talked with us along the way. While he talked, while he opened the scriptures to us. And so they run, they rush back to Jerusalem, which is a long journey. They rush back, they get to Jerusalem, and, they're and they hear about how the Lord has risen and he's appeared to Simon. And they're just having conversation about these things, trying to understand what it could all mean. And Luke gives us the next scene where in the midst of this conversation, Jesus suddenly appears. He stands among them and he says, peace be with you. But they don't experience peace. They actually experience trouble. They're startled. They think they, they, they see a ghost. And he says, why are you troubled? Why are doubts arising in your mind, literally in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet. It is I, myself. It, it, we tend to formalize these words in Scripture, but this scene is, is really just quite, quite earthy. Jesus, Jesus arrives in the room. He says, shalom. <laughs> Peace be with you. And they're freaking out. Now, he's already appeared to Peter. Why are they freaking out? They think he's a ghost. They think he's a spirit. They don't think he's real. And when he's saying, it's, it's I, it's, it, it's me. Hey, guys, it's really me. <laughs> he wants them to see the continuity between the Jesus that they walked with, the Jesus that they saw hung on the cross, and the Jesus who's now standing before them. 
And one commentator has said that in this account, Luke is trying to just sort of derail two false understandings of the afterlife. One understanding was that people would rise from the dead like zombies and their, their cadavers would just sort of be animated and going around. And the other is that people were really just disembodied spirits or ghosts. But Jesus is neither of these. He's, he's not merely a corpse that's been revived. There's something different about him. And he's not simply this ethereal, non-physical being. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they, were still did, while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> it's not, Jesus says, can we have a meal? It's, it's like, literally, it's, do you have any left? Is there any leftovers? The scene is really of like a friend who you haven't seen in a while, and he pops in, and he just makes himself at home in your kitchen, and he says, hey, do you got anything in the fridge that I can have? He's back. And here he is, and he eats the fish. He takes it and he eats it in their presence. But note Luke's comment here because here we see another stumbling block to the faith and the assurance of these disciples. You see, the first pair of disciples, their despair, their inability to see how God in his plan would include the weakness and the suffering of Jesus. Here, it's really out of joy and amazement, they don't believe. It, it's, it's like this is too good to be true. And so in their minds, they start creating doubts. Well, this can't really be Jesus. It must be a ghost. There must be something else going on here. Have you ever thought it, this news is too good to be true? And in a state where things feel too good to be true, you start to invent other explanations, that's what's going on here. Their minds are bewildered. But Jesus, we learn, is not only alive, he's actually glorified. He has, he has a body that has different properties. It's still a physical body, but it's a body that, that is different and it's changed and it's transformed. And so he is, he's pictured here as glorified, but yet he's the same Jesus. And then he says to them, verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. And verse 45 becomes the hinge point. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And this will be the turning point. He says, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The next episode that Luke recounts is going to show Jesus blessing his disciples from Bethany. They walk out of the city. It doesn't necessarily have to happen at the, same, at the same day, even though the NIV says when. Likely some days had passed. And here Jesus, he takes his disciples out to the hill outside of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives near Bethany. He lifts up his hands. He blesses them. And note the response. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You see, now we've arrived. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, their hearts were burning in unbelief as the scriptures were challenging. The story that Jesus was saying was challenging their expectations of God. In Jesus demonstrating himself physically present before them, they were joyful, but they didn't really believe yet. It was just this crazy experience that they had no, they had no sound explanation for. But everything changes when they begin to understand the word of God. And their response here is that Jesus is worshipped. Brothers and sisters, Luke is asserting to Theophilus that faith is not the result of your circumstances. It's not the result of your emotion, your experience, or even sight. None of the disciples put their faith in Jesus because they see him. It's not until they understand the word of God. It's not until they actually see in Jesus the fulfillment of what God had been saying from the beginning. That is when they are moved from doubt into worship. And so we see that faith is grounded in the believing and the understanding of the word of God. You say, I don't know about that. Are you saying that my assurance is really grounded in whether I believe the word of God, not whether I've had this supernatural experience? Yes. In this case, seeing is different from believing. Seeing is not believing. The two on the road to Emmaus, they were walking with Jesus, and they did not have faith. Even as they are sharing a meal of broiled fish with the risen Christ, Luke records that they, they didn't have faith. They were excited. They were amazed. But they didn't believe. But when they understood what God had been saying, then their faith is translated into worship. You say, what's going on here? Why would Luke end his story this way? Well, of course he's relaying the details, but I think there's something else going on here. Luke is trying to give Theophilus a picture of what certainty looks like. He's giving them a picture of what it means to be sure about the gospel. And if you only take one thing away from this message, I want it to be this. You will know you have faith when your life is about worshiping Jesus. I don't mean standing up, singing a song. We love to sing. Singing is great. No disrespect to singing. I don't mean going to church, gathering with people. That's important. The disciples find joy and their faith finally finds its footing when they understand who Jesus is in light of eternity, in light of God's plan. We're going to invite the band to come up as we finish in song. This truth is one that Jesus tried to illustrate for his disciples in their earthly life. 
he told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And you see this, this rich man, he was very preoccupied with himself and his, his own life. And he was really busy and he had so many things going on. And he totally ignored this beggar who was outside in front of his gate. And, you know, the beggar died in abject poverty. His name was Lazarus, not that, not that the rich man had much attention for him. And then as time went on, the rich man died as well. And Jesus, enlightening us to the realities of eternity beyond the realities of earth, he talked about the conversation that the rich man had after he was dead. And the rich man is in torment. While Lazarus, Lazarus is being consoled by Abraham, the father of the faith. And in his torment, the rich man cries out to Abraham and he says, Abraham, Abraham, can you get Lazarus to bring me some water? Just a little drop for my tongue. <laughs> Notice he hasn't changed, right? Lazarus is still his errand boy, right? <laughs> Even Abraham's the one who's, who's going to send him along. Abraham says, sorry, can't do. There's, there's this chasm between, there, there, there's a difference between those of faith and those not, the, the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, there's this gulf and nobody can really cross it. And then Lazarus says, well, if, if I can't get across it, can you at least let me go back? Can I go back to earth so that I can warn my family? I can tell my brothers and my sisters, I can tell them, don't do what I did. Abraham said to the rich man, he said, you don't need to go back. They have Moses and they have the prophets. Do you hear what he's saying? He tells the rich man, he says, you don't need to go back and warn anybody. They already have what God's word has told them. But the rich man, correcting Abraham's theology... He says, no, 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 but, but if somebody comes back from the dead, if I rise from the dead, if I go back, then they will believe me. And Abraham says, I don't think you have it right. You see, even if somebody rises from the dead, if they haven't believed Moses and they haven't listened to the prophets, they're not going to believe someone who's risen from the dead. Brothers and sisters, friends. Family, <laughs> distinguished guests. You will only have assurance to the extent that you believe the word of God. There is no experience. The risen Christ could be before you in the very moment until you believe what God has said. But when you do, when you listen to the word of God, you begin to see in the risen Jesus, the Savior and the Redeemer, and your response turns to worship. What is worship? It's the complete surrender of yourself. It's giving your life before the Lord. And the disciples after Jesus had left them, were filled with great joy, and they blessed God. 
So with joy in our hearts, would you stand as we bless God and return our praise to him?